Welcome back, Richard. It's it's good to see you. Good on this last day of July. It is the last day of July, which means that tomorrow is August, which means that in two weeks or a week and a half, really, school starts back. Some and, schools uh, start back this week. Uh, well, it, that's true. In some places, school starting back this week. Um, the public schools in our district, at least, start back on the 10th. Right. The, the teachers go back this week. But it, it is all very fitting for what we're going to talk about today, which is which is ADHD. Um, we're going to talk about some really interesting um, information that came out in an article written by a by a pharmacologist um, right. on uh, how medication uh, for ADHD works in the brain. We're also going to talk about some issues with adult ADHD. So just, just some updates today. Right, right. Yeah, you think that just when you think that we know everything there is to know about ADHD, you, you get some new information. We say we say that every time, too. And and, you know, when we when you brought this article um, it, up the other day and we were talking about it, um, you asked me if I had had ever heard about this, and right again, it's just no, hadn't heard. I mean, about we've been one. we've been fiddling around with this stuff for twenty over twenty years, right? Thirty years, and um, no, and and suddenly this pops up now, you know, uh, right? Quite by quite uh, serendipity, you know. A- absolutely, sure. and you know, one of the th- because one of the things we often talk about is um, the concerns about addiction. Right. Well, With, yeah, um, the, the addictive potential of stimulant medications like Adderall. Mm-hmm. Right. People are often very concerned about it. And and so, you know, the research that we've always talked about suggests that if a person has ADHD, right, if you treat them, if they if they go on medication, actually, they're less likely to abuse substances in the future. And, and that kind of makes sense. Um, right. if, you, if you medically treat something you're not going to recreationally seek something to treat those symptoms. That's right. Um, yeah, that, that research was done at Harvard years ago. Right. There was a group of child psychiatrists there who who really did a very thorough um, investigation, did a, right. a good research studies, several research studies over several years that showed that in children with ADHD, uh, using stimulant medication actually reduced addiction potential. Right. You know, so, but we never I never had a cogent explanation of that. I never had a good explanation of why that occurs. So that's what excited me when I found this article. And I thought, wow, here's finally a, a clear explanation of why that happens. Right. So, and, and it was funny because we sort of bumped into all three of these articles. In fact, the third article we found after we had started to prepare the podcast and and it appeared one day. And and so it was funny that all these things sort of coalesced, uh, all came together this week. Right. right. Yeah, um, it was perfect. It was perfect timing. And yeah. um, and so, yeah, we have a, we have an article to talk about um, brain, some brain chemistry stuff. Right. So that's always fun and exciting. Right. Um, yeah, one to talk and, and we have some to talk about ADHD in adults. Um, and some really interesting um, information about from the pandemic. Um, and then the third kind of also talks about adult ADHD um, and, and medications. And it kind of brings the other two together. So that's right. Yeah. Why why adults are becoming medication non-compliant, you know, and that, right. that, well, that's become a problem. But all these three things relate to each other. So right. we thought, well, let's go ahead and discuss all three and sort of pull all these three things together. Right. Um, yeah. The first article is. Uh, written by Kristen Wilcox. Mm-hmm. Um, it's entitled The Truth About Stimulant Medications. And sh- and the, subt- the subtitle is Treatment Effects Versus Euphoric Effects. 
And therein lies the kernel of what she's going to be talking about. Absolutely. Because what happened was uh, she's a she's a behavioral pharmacologist um, at probably two of the best medical schools in the country, Emory University and Johns Hopkins. And so she has some credentials. <laughs> and like many of us in this field, uh, her son's second grade teacher said, hey, your, your, your little boy looks like right. he has ADHD. And so for somebody who's studied this professionally for over 20 years, this came as a bit of a surprise. And um, she found that she really didn't want to rush into a diagnosis because she knew that it might be uh, it, it might end up with some medication. And she was she was alarmed by that. Right. Um, you know, she didn't want to rush into a diagnosis and treatment. Fortunately for her son, fortunately for her son, she did. And fortunately for us, she took this time to share her thoughts as a mother, but also as a scientist. Right. And, and, and you know, she starts out the, her article talking about how, you know, first off, the, these medications have been around for a very long time. And that's one of the one of the things I often talk to right. about now, I usually take it back to the fifties because mm -hmm. this is about when Ritalin um, was first uh, um, first released and and all. But she took it back to nineteen thirty seven, right? And, and Charles Bradley, who discovered that amphetamines reduced ADHD behaviors in children, and we recognized we we didn't even call it ADHD at the time, right. Um, right? I don't even know if they were calling it minimal brain dysfunction at the time. It was just you know, um, hyper. That's right. That, well, that was at the very, very, very beginning of that whole movement. Right. That was the early DSM one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. and so, so yeah, they weren't even really, that was before we really even knew what ADHD. Yeah. There was no name in 1950s. Right. There was no name for this disorder. Right. And so this was back in 1937 when she, when, when Charles mm -hmm. Bradley, um, found that amphetamines reduced ADHD behavior. So again, They've been around for a very long time. And, right. and so, yes, there are some um, horrible, horrific reports about, you know, the the misuse and and the the problems that could be associated with these medications. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that those are the, the, the vast minority of, of cases. Um, you know, the, only, the reason that everybody hears about these cases is because they're, they're relatively rare. They are rare. That's right. In the overwhelming majority of cases, right. uh, the medication is, has been safe and effective for half a century. Right. Or more. More, yeah. Right. So what she explains with these amphetamines, and we're going to use the word amphetamines and stimulants sort of interchangeably. Um, they reduce the symptoms of ADHD by making two neurotransmitters more available in certain parts of the brain. And those right. two neurotransmitters are norepinephrine and dopamine. Right. And what the medications do, it's not the medication that acts, it's the medication that makes these two neurotransmitters more available in specific areas of the brain. And, and, and that last bit of that last sentence that you said is probably, it is the most important. It is the crux of this entire topic because you know when people think of dopamine they th because it's in the popular press and everything when people hear dopamine they hear rewards you know right. that's if if something increases dopamine that means it increases your risk for um addiction it increases right. because it it's something that your body is going to crave and it's going to want mm -hmm. it but the difference is where in the brain dopamine 
um, is, is released and dop dopamine is concentrated. Um, for example, there's one area of the brain where if there's a lot of dopamine in that area, or if there's a dopamine issue in that area, um, it's actually a deficit of dopamine in that area, it, it can cause Parkinson's disease, right? right? right. Um, so other areas of the brain, um, dopamine is there to help with concentration and focus. That's what we're talking right. about now. That's the, the prefrontal cortex and the areas there. Um, so depending on where the neurotransmitters are, are concentrated, you're going to get different effects. So it's when we, when people talk about, oh, it releases dopamine. So, you know, that's why we crave sugar so much. That's true, but it's because it's releasing dopamine in certain, in the reward centers of our brain, in certain areas. That's right. Um, but what she tells us here is that in individuals without ADHD, right. so if you, if you have ADHD, the medications that you take, these stimulants that we talk about, the stimulants that are prescribed, go to the, um, they, they, they make more norepinephrine and dopamine available mm -hmm. to certain regions of the brain. If you don't have ADHD and you take stimulants, um, and usually it would be things like cocaine and methamphetamine that are available illegally, right. um, but at a molecular level, they act the same. You know, there's really right. no difference between Adderall and, and those at a molecular level. Um, so when you make stimulants, of, when you add stimulants to people who do not have ADHD, it those those neurochemicals go to a different part of the brain, as as you mentioned, associated with addiction, where they produce euphoria and pleasure. Right. Okay. So when when dopamine and norepinephrine go to that region of the brain, it's called the nucleus accumbens, but you don't need to know that. Right. It produces euphoria and pleasure and makes you feel better. Right. Therefore, it's this feeling of euphoria, this feeling of pleasure that increases your risk for addiction right yeah so so again boiling that down if you have adhd and you take these medications it increases dopamine and norepinephrine in the prefrontal cortex in areas right. where um where there's a deficit uh, of dopamine and norepinephrine uh, where we need to have more if a person doesn't have adhd that all you know the increased um, concentration of dopamine and norepinephrine is in a different areas in an area called the nucleus accumbens that is the reward center of our brain. So right. it is two different areas uh, that are affected by the medications depending on the diagnosis. Depending that's right. on, not even the diagnosis, the presence of the condition. This because right. that's going to come about uh, later when we talk about a di diagnosis versus symptoms and, and uh, actual disorder. Right. In fact, you know, um, one of the things, that, especially children um, who take stimulant medications, one of their complaints is, is they don't, it doesn't increase arousal. In fact, it calms them and it sort of takes the pleasure away. Right. You know, that's one of the, one of the common side effects in kids. One of the reasons they don't like to take it is say, well, I just, you know, I just feel a little bit dull. I, I, I'm not as sort of sharp and crisp and all that. I mean, cognitively, they're better. They have more attention and, and better short-term memory, but um, it just, they just feel kind of dull. Well, that's exactly what you want to do is you want right. to sort of decrease arousal and have a calming effect. And they don't like that side effect. So if you really have ADHD, these medications, I mean, I've never heard a kid. Have you ever heard a child? And I've, we've been doing this for a combination of about 70 years. 
Right. Have you ever heard a kid say, man, I feel so much better when I'm on my medication? Mm-mm. No, they they concentrate better. Yeah. They have more self-control. But I've never heard a kid say, man, I just love when I take my stimulant medication. I right. just feel so good. You know, no, it doesn't produce that kind of high. Well, and it's the same with it's same with adults, right. adults who have ADHD. It, right. it doesn't right. it doesn't you feel better from the perspective of you function better. You, you perform better. Right. But there's not a a euphoria or a, a an increased in mood. I mean, if you're if you're in a, if you're cranky and in a bad mood when you wake up and you take your medication, you you stay in a cranky and bad mood. It doesn't it's necessarily change it's it. It's not. It doesn't. It's not. That's right. It's not going to increase your pleasure. Yeah. And and of course, speaking from from you know, full disclosure, I I, I take Adderall because mm-hmm. I, I've struggled. I struggled with ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until college or really grad school that it really became apparent because that's when the demands were right. far exceeded, um, you know, what I could do without it. Your and attentional so, capacity. Right. I can um, vouch for that. <laughs> you've seen me both on and off. I've seen them, I, folks, I've seen them on and off and believe me, you want them on. That's right. Um, imagine what this podcast would be like without it. Um, one day, one day, folks. Um, so I, I, I often tell people when, when when we're kind of joking and stuff, I was, you're just lucky my medication's working. Think, think really, Alvin and the chipmunks. <laughs> well, it just it just inhibits some of those impulses. And so, um, I, I, but again, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't make me feel euphoric. It doesn't make me yeah. feel really... No happy or anything like that, I, I can, I can work. Um, I can get the things done that I need to get done because I can focus on those things. So right. now knowing this, knowing that in a, if you have ADHD, the medication goes one place. If you don't, it goes to another place. The practical problem is the non-medical use of these drugs by students, right? By high school students and college students. One of the, you know, the, except for marijuana, Adderall is the most abused drug on college campuses, second to marijuana, okay? Um, The problem is, is that kids who don't have ADHD, high school and college students who don't have ADHD, are hounding classmates that they know have the medication, Mm -hmm. and they wanna take it to study for finals or to do a paper or to study for a test. And you see the problem with this because Adderall or any of these stimulants are not meant to be performance enhancing drugs. Right. That's that's not what they were designed to do. And so when a person without ADHD takes these medications to enhance their performance, that's when you're getting into the risk of addiction. Right. Okay. So there's a very practical addiction problem associated with taking Adderall or any other stimulant to enhance your performance. That's when you have a risk of addiction. Absolutely. And and that's sort of what brings us to the second article, because the second article is entitled The App for Adderall. And it it, um, is about, uh, it starts out with a a fictional college student who's, um, you know, being hounded by his uh, classmates for, for his Adderall. And um, because they want to improve their performance and, um, but they want it for recreational purposes. And, um, as you said, you know, this is a huge problem in high school and college right. because um, because that's a true story. People are um, people are trying to get their hands on this 
and um, trying to to access these stimulant medications. One because they're they're obviously because they're legal. Um, people can get them and you can have them. It's not illegal to take them. Um, and and two because it does have uh, uh, an effect on their functioning. Um, and so it's a huge problem. Right. Now, during the pandemic, what he, what he talks about here is that during the pandemic, um, companies popped up that um, would, would advertise that they will do these very quick diagnostic workups and provide you with medication. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the problem with using Adderall or, or using stimulants for performance enhancement is that during the two thousands from roughly 2003 to 2015 adult stimulant, the use of stimulants by adults increased by hundreds of percentages. Okay. Right. In women uh, from age 25 to 29, there was an increase of 700% right. in the, in stimulant use. Um, Adderall prescription in 2021 jumped 10%. Um, on TikTok, the, he mentions this, this uh, TikTok, there were 2.7 billion views for ADHD in 2021. Okay. Right. And most of these are created by lay people you know i took this medication and this is what it did for me um which means that young adults are going on tiktok right and they're they're seeing built they're seeing this flood of information about adhd but it's right. not written by professionals it's written by late it's written by young adults and maybe teenagers right okay? so adhd symptoms are carefully delineated in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. But over time, things like lack of motivation, I lose my car keys, mm -hmm. I don't have as much self-control, my, my supervisor at work is concerned about my self-control, my wife is concerned about my temper outbursts, mm -hmm. okay? And other impediments to success, but these are the normal, these are normal impediments to success. There's nothing clinical about losing, for most of us, losing your car keys. Right. Or getting angry at work. That's right. not a clinical manifestation of anything. It's sort of like, it's life getting in the way. Okay. Right. So, but the, but the thinking now, what has emerged is if you're not doing as well as you should in college, high school, college or work that maybe you have ADHD. Right. And, and that's, we, you and I have seen that. Oh, absolutely. And, and we, the, the, so the problem where, where this boils down to is that, you know, people um, read articles on the, the web or they read right. blogs or they watch videos and, and they hear people talking about it. And, and these could be people with ADHD or people without ADHD, but they're not necessarily scientific yeah. Um, they're not necessarily physicians or doctors talking about um, these these things, and and they hear people talking about well, you know what? One sign of of ADHD impulsivity that you see in adults is that they sh jump from job to job. You know, they have really a, a difficult time maintaining employment for a period of time. Right. Well, 
okay, y- yes, that's a, a sign of perhaps um, uh, of that. But that could be a sign of lots of other things too. And so but, but people will hear that and they'll think, oh man, you know what? I get fired from every job that I have within a couple of weeks. Right. So, you know, I'm, it must be because I have ADHD and then they'll start looking into it. And of course, you know, you, you type in ADHD into a Google search and you find, you know, billions of, of, of websites that talk right. about it. And you can, you know, it's almost like a horoscope where you can, you can relate all of it to yourself if you're, you know, right. because we tend to have confirmation bias and we're like, Oh yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense for my life. Um, and, and, you know, as you were saying, what happened during the pandemic is we, we have these uh, companies that, that sprang up um, with, with telemedicine because telemedicine became the way that we practiced during the pandemic. And, um, and, and thankfully for it, because, you know, that's how we were able to maintain connection with our patients and, and everything while staying safe and, and at a distance. Right. Um, but a lot of these, there were a lot of companies that, that sprang up that will do, you know, in 30 minutes, in a 30 minute right. telemedicine interview, they will ask some questions, make a diagnosis and prescribe medications for ADHD. When, you know, 30 minutes isn't a lot of time. No, and and you can picture, and what this what this writer is is complaining about here, and what he's concerned about, is you can picture um, this company is set up. They have a clinician. You're doing telemedicine, um, and and there's a thirty minute visit, mm-hmm. a thirty minute interview, and say, oh yes, you have the symptoms of you're describing the symptoms of ADHD, mm-hmm. and so we will write a prescription for uh, medication for you, okay? And they would advertise on TikTok and Instagram. Well, who yeah. does TikTok and Instagram? Right. Promising, quote, super speedy online diagnoses, okay? Right. That's, so what's, what's happening here is that many people without ADHD are getting the diagnosis and being prescribed medication. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are two problems there. One is diagnostic. Does the person really have ADHD? Because if you think about the first article, what problem are we getting into if you give medication to somebody who doesn't have ADHD? And the second problem is this is not the way to make this diagnosis. You and I both taught, we taught pediatricians, uh, pediatric residents, how how to make the diagnosis of ADHD. And it takes a thorough diagnostic workup and it takes a knowledge of this child and family and school and everybody else involved. This is not a diagnosis that you can make in 30 minutes. There isn't an ADHD test that you can give. Um, this requires clinical judgment based on, based on a lot of information from various sources. You don't have ADHD at church. You have ADHD everywhere. Okay? Right. Yeah. And, so it's and, not and, an easy diagnosis. It's not. And, you know, again, just because you're bored and because you flip to the channels and because you have a hard time reading, um, you know, reading a passage without going back and rereading it, that doesn't mean that you have ADHD. That, that, you know, yes, it's an attentional issue, Mm -hmm. but it could, you know, people who are depressed have attentional issues. People who are anxious have attentional issues. People who are dissatisfied with something in their life, people who didn't get enough sleep. Um, right. People who are hungry, 
all of these people have difficulty concentrating and focusing, especially at times. And we all have difficulty concentrating and focusing when we're trying to do so with something that we're not interested in. That's right. Especially if you have the inattentive type of ADHD. If you're if if you have a child who's motorically active, too active, and they can't sit still, and they're you know you can't slow them down enough for them to do anything and eat or sleep or do anything, then 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 maybe it's a clinical problem. But you're right. Inattention appears for all sorts of reasons, right. and it takes a skilled clinician to say this person's inattention is due to ADHD, not right. one of these other things. Okay. Right. And so, and, and it is a challenge. I'm going to say it, it is a challenge even for us who, hmm. I mean, we've worked with ADHD, like you said, for, for a, a few decades, we'll say. Um, Seven. Yeah. The, um, the, the problem really is that, um, you know, we, we have to give a diagnosis the very first time we meet someone. Right. So our our initial sessions with people are about 50 minutes, 55 mm -hmm. minutes or so. Um, and so we have to give somebody a diagnosis. And, and you know, I, I know that I, I, I know that we built this practice, our practice here, where we talk to patients very matter of factly. And I'll say we'll say things like, um, man, you're presenting with a lot of behaviors that appear like ADHD. Uh, right. it, it takes some time, you know, I, we want to make sure that that's the right diagnosis. So, you know, I'm going to put that down as the diagnosis right now, but we're working yeah. through it and it could change. Um, right. We're not jumping to, oh no, this is absolutely what it is. And, you know, and this, it's not any of these other things. I've only known you for 50 minutes. You've had, right. you know, you've been mm -hmm. alive for 12 years. How do I know what, what you are after 50 minutes? That's right. And I'll say to people, yeah, you meet diagnostic criteria, but it doesn't mean that we're going to do anything about it. Right. You know, we, we may or may not. We, we just don't know yet. All we know right now is that you meet criteria. But right. it's gonna, it, it takes more work to decide what to do about it. You don't, you don't say, oh, yes, you have it, and jump to medication. The other problem with these telemedicine, the telemedicine approach that these companies use, is that there were no doubt people calling there to get a prescription to increase their performance in college and at work, okay? Who didn't have ADHD. Who don't have ADHD. Right. They're trying, they're, they want to use, they have heard, and they, they have this understanding that stimulant medication can be used as a performance-enhancing drug, which will give them a leg up, right. um, which will make their performance better in school or at work. Right. There, therein lies a danger. Right. Okay. Very careful with that. Absolutely. So the third article talks about a related issue, and that is why are so many adults medication non-compliant? Mm -hmm. okay. And obviously, the reason is going to be that many adults who have been diagnosed with ADHD mm -hmm. are not don't really have the diagnosis and don't really benefit from the medication. That's the long and short of it. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, the, the author begins by talking about how ADHD medications are among the most effective treatments across medicine. I mean, when a person has, we tell this to parents all the time, when a person has ADHD and they take their medication, you know, the very first time they take it, within about 45 minutes to an hour, you can see the effects of the medication. Now, there is outside of like, you know, oh, I my arm is sore and I take some Advil. 
you know, you, you'll see some effects, some improvement there. Um, outside of those kinds of things, you don't see that type of effect very often. No, you don't. But, and there's no question that it that it's effective. Right. You know, and um, they're often, you know, more effective than, you know, medication for a toothache. You know, it, it happens, it happens faster. So, um, and it's more, it's very, it, it can be very obvious, um, especially right. people with, with severe symptoms. So, um, well, if you really have ADHD, really effective. if you really have ADHD and you take the right stimulant, there are many different stimulants today. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you take one and it doesn't work doesn't mean that right. others might not work. Okay. So, um, if you have, AD, if you really have ADHD and you get the right medication, the effects are going to be immediate and positive. Yes, there are going to be some side effects. Of course, there are side effects yeah. with every medication, but they they will work and they will have a noticeable effect and the noticeable effect will occur very early after taking the medication. Yeah. Unlike others that other medications that you have to take for a month or two months to get some level in your in your bloodstream, these medications work very quickly and they're in and out of your body. In, in a matter of hours. Absolutely. The problem is, is that there are too many adults. And when we talk about adults, we're talking about 18 and above. Okay, we're not talking about 50 year olds. We're talking right. about um, young adults who are beginning their work careers or beginning college. And many people are want to use these drugs as performance enhancing drugs. Right. That's not what they're meant for. Yeah. Um, but we know now what, what Dodson in this article tells us is that um, fewer than 50% of adults who are prescribed the medication take them on a consistent basis. Okay? Right. Well, why is that? Well, the medications aren't doing what they're designed to do, probably because my his guess is, is that either they don't really have ADHD or somebody is not monitoring the right. therapeutic and side effects of the medication. Right. So, so... That's in lists um, four reasons uh, for what he calls barriers to medication adherence. Um, Because he said, you know, over 50% um, of people with um, who are taking these medications, adults who are taking these medications are non-compliant or not inconsistent. um, They don't take it or they don't take it on a regular basis or but they're, they're not adhering to the prescription. Right. And the, the first reason that he, he gives is, is poor psychoeducation. And, you know, even in kids, um, not not to shift the focus too much from adults, because this article is about adults, but we see this with children also, right. where there's just not good. They're not given good information or, or sufficient information about what the medication is used for. Richard, how many times have we seen parents, um, and again, not to focus on kids too much, but who will who will give the medication give give a stimulant medication to their child at like three o'clock in the afternoon? Right. So, well, and then they'll complain that he's up all night. Well, I mean, you should only take it take it first thing in the morning, and they say, "Oh, well, nobody ever told me." Right. Or kids who who are, who are given a prescription, like high school students, given a prescription, but oh, I only take it when I have a test. Yeah. Yeah. That's not that's not how these medications are. If you have ADHD, right. you have ADHD every day. Right. Okay. If, right. if you only take it when you have a test, that's performance enhancement. Right. Yeah, so, so this poor psychoeducation is that they just don't know why they're taking it, when they're supposed to take it, um, the purpose of it, you know, what it's supposed to do. Um, so 
yeah, so they need better psychoeducation. Right. And, and that's what we talk about when it takes time. You can't do that in a 30 minute visit right. and send the person home on medication. Right. But they can refill for, uh, they can get a, now you can get a 90 day supply of these medications, which right. is also new. Um, no, that's not how this is done. It, it takes care and planning. Right. Um, the other problem is, is the incorrect dose. Right. And this can be a huge problem because remember, if you're not taking an, if you're not taking the right dose, you can have reduced therapeutic effects and the person's taking the medications they have, I don't, I don't really feel any different. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be because you're not taking enough of the medication, or if you're taking too much, then you have too many side effects. Okay. So right. somebody has to be monitoring Mm -hmm. this dose to know exactly what dose you should be getting. Right. A absolutely. Um, you know, so that, cause there is that, that sweet spot that you have to get where you're at the right dose, where there's optimal perf um, performance or optimal um, therapeutic relief, uh, therapeutic effect uh, without getting so many side effects. And, and you're right. right. You know, that's not monitored as effectively or efficiently as it should be. That's right. Um, but then, but the other part of that, and maybe even related to that, is is the practical obstacles of remembering to get the prescriptions refilled, remembering that you know you have to see the physician routinely. You can't just um, you know you can't just see your doctor once a year and um, and keep getting refills of the medication. You have to go regularly, at least at least every three months, um, depending on who's prescribing it. Sometimes even once a month, you have to see the doctor. That's right. And, and that's what the fourth one is unsupportive clinical attitudes. Right. Um, you don't, you, you have, as a clinician, you are ethically obligated to, um, to do this careful monitoring that we're talking about. You know, right. you just can't hand a person, you know, we see this with um, Xanax um, uh, abuse oh, absolutely. where you get these, you can get all these Xanax pills and you're not taking them properly. And then suddenly you get into problems um, with, with the medication. The same right. thing can happen with these. If it's not, if, if you have a clinician who isn't taking a keen interest in this, right. um, you may, you may want to uh, think seriously about that because it does take careful monitoring. Right. Remember the other thing is, is that even children and adults will develop and change over time. Mm -hmm. So what may be the optimal dose when you're 13 may not be the optimal dose or the right medication when you're, when you're 25. Right. And, and that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that the dose needs to go up. The, no. You know, these medications don't, aren't like weight dependent. You know, no. you can have, you can have a, you know, 50 pound, uh, 60 pound, uh, eight year old, mm -hmm. um, who's on a higher dose than a, you know, 200 pound adult. That's um, right. So it's not weight dependent. It, no. it's, it, it looks at the symptoms and, and is dependent on that. So, you know, Dr. Dotson in, in this article, he um, offers some different strategies. Um, and, but I think the most important thing, as you said, Richard, is, you know, look at what's happening in your relationship with your prescribing physician. And, you know, if they're not taking a, a, an interest, if they're not monitoring you close enough, you know, get that checked out. If you If you feel like, you have no idea why you're taking this medication or what's going on, you know, think, think heavily about who's prescribing the medication and either talk in with them in more detail or find someone else to, who, who can offer that support and information to make sure that you're, you know, using it safely and appropriately. Yeah. What we like about this article is this, this uh, guy, Dr. Dodson, he was one of the first, he was one of the pioneers in using uh, stimulant medication with adults. 
Um, so he's been at this for a couple of decades. And he gives these four obstacles to medication compliance. But after each obstacle, he gives four or five specific things that you should do. So it's a very practical article. And if, and if you have an adult, if you or you know an adult who's on medication, you may want to take a look at this, uh, especially with those um, um, the interventions, what you can do um, um, about these uh, uh, about medication compliance and medication use if you're an adult. Absolutely. So as we as we kind of step back and look at the three articles that we we share today, and, and the link to all three are in the show notes. But um, you know what we see are these recurring problems of, of related, oftentimes related to poor practice. But but it includes things like not giving the right diagnosis, um, not giving enough psychoeducation or, or information about the medication and what it's for, um, and, and just poor medication compliance and everything. Right. We're not saying that ADHD, th- these articles are not suggesting that ADHD doesn't exist. And, right. and, you know, we did a podcast not too terribly long ago, right. kind of confronting that issue, because there are still those who suggest that ADHD doesn't exist, which boggles my mind. Um, but but you can sense. see, you know, ADHD does exist. It's existed for thousands of years. I mean, we, right. it, it's not a, we just right. didn't invent it in the 19th or 20th or 21st century. ADHD exists. The problem is if you're not making the diagnosis carefully, if you're not treating the diagnosis in the right way, then there's going to be some confusion. Right. Okay? That's not because it doesn't exist. That's because right. poor practices, poor clinical practice has led to overdiagnosis and overtreatment. Right. Not because it doesn't exist. It's, it's being misdiagnosed and mistreated. And and this isn't unique to ADHD. No, um, heavens no. You know, I, and I'm sorry. I know this is this will ruffle fl- feathers considerably, but um, I have a really difficult time with the idea that autism exists in one out of every 55 kids. That it, it just doesn't fit in reality. And when you look at, but no. the problem is with diagnosis and and really understanding what the condition and and disorder is. And when you when right. you really think about and look at what ADHD is, um, there are those who have symptoms of ADHD, who have all of the characteristics of ADHD, but don't have ADHD. Right. That's you can right. have all of those symptoms, but still not have the condition. And you, you have to work with a professional who understands the disorder, understands what's hap- supposed to be happening in the brain um, and what's supposed to be happening psycho. Um, psychoeducationally um, in schools, but also behaviorally at home and, and at schools and understands it in a way that they can communicate it and, and, you know, identify interventions. Some may be medication, but they may not be medication. We, right. we, we right. still need to um, look at that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we have this practice related issue, this professional related issue of, of not making sufficient or appropriate diagnoses um, right. and just treating people because they come in and say, Oh, I have a hard time concentrating. So I must have ADHD. Yeah. You and I both worked with a, a, a wonderful psychiatrist by the name of Archie Silver. Yeah. And one of Archie Silver's recurring themes was diagnosis is everything. Right. You have to get it right. And, and he was right. I mean, he was right then he's right now. Um, the problem with AD, the reason ADHD is a controversial diagnosis is not 
whether it exists or not, it's controversial because there are too many people who have been misdiagnosed, people who should be and aren't and are suffering needlessly, and people who shouldn't be getting the diagnosis and who get it and are getting medications that they really don't need, or they're going to create more problems than they solve. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we need to, you know, that, that misdiagnosis uh, of ADHD, you know, it is so harmful in, in various ways. Um, you know, it leads to people getting the wrong medication. Um, you know, again, as we learned in the first article, if a person doesn't really have ADHD, but is given ADHD is diagnosed with it and given ADHD medication, then your risk, their risk for addiction is significantly increased. That's right. um, Bernie, one of the one of the great debates at the University of South Florida College of Medicine was between you and another clinician about ADHD versus bipolar disorder. Right. Okay. And bipolar disorder in children looks very much like ADHD. Right. Okay. But if you give a child who has a mood disorder a stimulant, right. you're going to make the mood disorder worse. Right. Okay. So diagnosis matters a right. careful diagnosis matters okay right. because you're going to kids are going to end up on medications that they shouldn't be taking mm-hmm. or they're not going to get medications that they really do need right okay? so there are important implications absolutely absolutely and and i thank you for bringing up that i haven't thought about that debate in a long Remember time that? i was thinking I, about that the other day because boy he was so angry that and and you were right. I mean, but he worked from the perspective that mood disorders don't exist in children. Right. And so he he had sort of that blind spot of not being able to recognize that kids can have those emotions as well. Um, they right. can have yeah. those limitations as well. And, and so, you're right. When he was trained. Right. When he was trained, we did not believe. Right. The children could be depressed it, when, when he was trained and from the perspective, this perspective from which he was right. trained um, would would teach him that. And so, you know, it's not his I, I don't fault him for that piece. It, he, right. he could have become more educated and more informed about it and been willing to. But talk. He was trained in a European tradition, right. a Freudian European tradition. So right. he was very much a product of his training. He's a very, very good psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. But he had this this issue about mood disorders in children, which was not uncommon at the time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very good example of, of a careful diagnosis. This is where right. Archie Silver is correct. Be very, yeah. very careful. Right. Absolutely. So, so let's think about some advice that we have from, from these um, um, articles. Um, first is of course that the diagnosis takes time. You know, you, you want to make sure that you get the diagnosis right. Um, you know, if a, if a clinician is making a diagnosis, you you hope that they will be getting information from multiple sources, and oftentimes that means from parents and from teachers. Um, from you know, for adults, that's more difficult, but it could be from the person, from the spouse, from the uh, partners, from the parent. The you know, even if it's an adult, you can get information from their parents about what they were like as kids. So, you want to get information from various sources, um, and, and so sometimes that that typically takes more than one visit. That's right. And the problem, we have an internet problem. We have a Dr. Google, you know, we talk about Dr. Google and people look it up. What you're going to find on the internet are symptoms. Right. Okay. That that's all that that's all that can be put on a website is these are the symptoms. 
symptoms do not equate to a diagnosis. And so you need a skilled clinician. And I think this is advice one and two. You need to work with people who have a thorough understanding of this disorder, um, the the brain basis, the behavioral basis, um, the neurochemical basis of this disorder. It, it, you have to look beyond the symptoms, right? You know, it's like the wizard of Oz, you know, you got to peek behind the curtain. The symptoms don't make the diagnosis. It's the knowledge of the disorder and the knowledge of this child or this adult where you make the, where the diagnosis resides. Absolutely. And that does, you know, remind us that symptoms of ADHD occur with lots of other diagnoses. Um, You know, I'll never forget that one of the hallmark, um, books, one of the seminal um, books for uh, childhood onset bipolar disorder. Right. Um, had, I think it was two full pages. Two pages. Um, of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't diagnostic symptoms. They were just symptoms. Right. And one of the symptoms was um, craves carbohydrates. <laughs> so if, if you're looking at that and you say, oh, craving carbohydrates is a symptom of early onset bipolar disorder. Right. Um, well, show me a child that doesn't crave carbohydrates, that doesn't want carbohydrates anytime they can get them. Show me an adult, for the most part, that doesn't want carbohydrates as often as they can get them. So symptoms are symptoms. Um, and they're not necessarily diagnostic. And you can take a whole bunch of symptoms and put them together. And it still doesn't make a diagnosis. So um, you, you have to have that knowledgeable person who can tease some of that stuff apart. And again, it takes a little bit of time sometimes. You know, you mentioned autism a minute ago. Um, people now, I'm a little bit shy. I'm a little bit, you know, I have social yeah. anxiety. That's not autism. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. It just, you don't have autism. Right. Um, you might have some of the symptoms. Many of us have some of the symptoms of all kinds of disorders. Right. But symptoms don't equate to diagnosis. Symptoms right. are, are simply, these are the kind of things you look for. Making a diagnosis is a very different process. Absolutely. And you have to have somebody, you know, if I could train somebody to make the diagnosis of ADHD, but if they don't know about dep- and all the mood disorders and the anxiety disorders and trauma, yeah, I, th- there's, a, there's a larger picture here that you need to be aware of. Absolutely. So another thing, uh, you know, another piece of advice that comes from these articles is that we don't need to fear stimulant medications. They've been around for a very long time. Um, You know, they one has to assume or or hope that if they're being used, that they're being used appropriately with a person who truly has ADHD and who who truly uh, needs it, not not to improve their performance on a test or improve their performance in class or something, but they're using it to treat truly treat ADHD. Right. Um, but you know, we don't need to be a pharaoh. They, they, they reduce symptoms. They, they are better. They are one of the best treatments, um, for really any medical condition, but especially ADHD. Right. And they're not the only treatment. Nobody's suggesting that this is all you have to do. And that's the other thing that worries me about young adults who are seeking medication um, if you really have ADHD, medication is a part of a, of a, of a more comprehensive treatment plan. Um, it's not just medication. Right. Um, but if you're using it, if you're using stimulants for ADHD, they are safe and effective for treating ADHD. They're not, perform- they're not meant to be performing enhancement right. drugs. And as you say, 
what medications do is they reduce the symptoms. Okay, you and I used to say, we always would tell parents, these medications reduce the symptoms, which makes the child available for parents and teachers. Right. Because if the child really has ADHD, right. they're not available for parents and teachers. Right. The, the, the interventions don't stick. Right. But if you can reduce the symptoms, then parents and teachers can do their jobs. Right. If you reduce the symptoms in an adult, the adult is more capable of meeting the demands of the workplace. Right. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, you're, you don't become more organized because you take Adderall. Yeah. You become more organized because um, you learn how to be organized. That's it's right. easier to learn that when you can attend and focus and pay attention to it. Um, so, but you still have to learn that skill. Right. When, when you talk to somebody who really has ADHD, most of them say the same thing. I just have all these thoughts racketing around in my, they start talking real fast. You know? mm -hmm. I have all these thoughts racketing around in my head and I can't slow it down and the wheels are turning. And when I take my medication, I can right. sort things out right. and then I can do what I need to do. I yeah. still have to do all that stuff, but now I'm capable of doing it. Right. And that's all that medications do is they reduce the symptoms. Right. And so, you know, if you take the medications, you want to monitor the therapeutic effects and monitor possible side effects and, and look at, the two of them and, and weigh are the therapeutic, do the therapeutic effects outweigh the side effects? I mean, right. you know, yeah, you can focus and concentrate, but are you losing weight because of the appetite suppression so significant right. that you, right. you know, now you're becoming, um, you know, that's becoming problematic. Okay. So you need to weigh those things, but, um, but, but again, that's where you're working with your treating professional to make sure that you're on the right dose and taking the right medication. Right. And if you're just handed a 90-day supply and never see the clinician again, yeah. that is worrisome, no matter what medication you're taking. That's Absolutely. worrisome. I don't care what the medication is, that, that's a troublesome turn of events. Absolutely. So this is a, the diagnosis does exist, the medications are effective, but in skilled hands. You know, Absolutely. make sure you're in skilled hands. That's right. All right. We covered a, a lot today. The, the articles, as I mentioned, are in the show notes. So if you want to check them out, um, but uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be back to talk more about ADHD. Um, I guess, you know, you, you think the last word's been written, but uh, important stuff keeps coming up. So. There's never a last word. There's always right. more words to say. So, all right. Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.